follow the Yankees, for the last 30 years, they've had the same announcer on the radio call 5,060 consecutive games. He's done it for 30 years. He took his first break, actually, in the playoffs this year. And every time the Yankees win, he does the same thing. Every single game on the radio, he does the same thing. And this is what he does. We need volume. Be good, Albert? Yeah. Okay. Ball game over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. 30 years of that, and since I moved to Philly, that's the only really way I get to follow the Yankees is listening to them on the radio, and he does that every single game. He explodes in excitement, cheering on the team. He praises, he worships, right? And, um, and we're made to be worshipers. We get excited about things, and we can't help but bubble up in praise and in applause and in cheers. And this is true even for things that we don't particularly care about or, or, or have an interest in. So last week, uh, Kyle Rudolph made this insane play in the end zone playing the Cowboys. And even if you don't like football, on Monday morning when they were playing the highlight, the sheer athleticism to grab a pass with one hand and to catch the football in that way erupted. And people were like, all these newscasters who don't even care about football were just like, that was amazing, amazing to see. Um, Simone Biles, the most decorated uh, American gymnast. I'm not a huge fan of gymnastics, but I love watching her because she's awesome. She's excellent, and she's a delight to watch because of how gifted she is. Um, why do we cheer for superheroes, right? Well, the idea that a billionaire that's stuck in a cave could build armor and escape and rescue himself is awesome. How excellent to have those abilities and those gifts that you could even in the most dire of circumstances beat your way out of a, of a mess, right? And then I think about James Holzhauer, who holds the record for the top 10 individual winnings for Jeopardy. So in a single game, he made over $130,000. And even if you don't watch Jeopardy and you don't care about trivia, this story captivated the nation because people were just overwhelmed with his ability to beat the game. Even the guy that was, you know, I don't remember his name, that had won for like months and months, never even came close to a single day's earnings like James. Amazing stuff. We're made to delight. We're made to be filled with praise for what is excellent. And this morning, the text invites us to cast our eyes upon God and to see the one who is truly excellent, who is truly worthy of our praise. Because when you stop and think about it, as a longtime Vikings fan, I know that by the end of the season, Rudolph will be injured or he will, make a, 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 he will not make the play that you want him to make, right? As much as we love Tony Stark, he's not real. He's a fictitious character, right? James Holzhauer lost, right? But God is infinite and unchanging. He's perfect, and he's always worthy of our praise. And so this morning's text is really practical. It's really practical. Praise God. Whatever you're bringing this morning here, maybe you're weighed down by work, you're stressed out, praise God. Maybe you feel weighed down by a sin. You're feeling heavy. Praise God. And that might seem odd and strange, but hopefully as we meditate upon this morning's text, you'll see that that's actually the best response, regardless of what you're bringing here today, no matter how heavy you feel. And so join me now as we read God's word, and we're just going to see th two things from the text today, why we praise him and what we praise him for. 
Okay, so we're going to read chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. This is God's word. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word and all God's people say. All right, so why do we praise him? You know, when we struggle with prayer, one of the things we go to, one of the books we go to, we're invited to go to the Psalms, right? Because we have this amazing songbook that provides us with words when we're unable to come up with them on our own to pray to God. But this morning, we're reminded that another great place to go in Scripture when we lack the words to pray to God are actually found in Paul's letters, that what we've been seeing for the past several weeks is actually a long prayer letter of praise to God, inviting all of God's people to join in worship and in thanksgiving because of what he has done. And we see that in this. This is actually a doxology, right? Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. And what you do is you go back into your Bible and you see that um, in the first chapter, he says this, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you, In my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we're moving into a prayer, the content of the prayer. And last week, Pastor Tom preached from chapter 3, and he said, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, right? That's prayer language. He's prostrate before God, delighting in what God has done. And so this morning's verses cap off that prayer that we've been reading Paul write to God. Um, and, And we're invited to to praise, to, to, to exalt in God, to be amazed at what he has done. And it's an invitation, right, to, to him who's able to do far more than we ask or think, right? Paul is inviting us to think upon God, to ask upon God. That is um, what he's encouraging us to do. And when we do that, we're amazed as we pause and just reflect on the God that has called us his own. I mean, can we think about for a second how amazing it is that we can even know God personally? What an amazing thing that we can say we know God, that we don't have to play this cosmic game of hide and seek. I wonder if you're out there. I wonder if you're real. But that God has made himself known to us, right, in the book of Romans, for his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. God has revealed himself definitively through his creation. And so even people who say there's no God are not actually being truthful to themselves. Because when we're in the midst of the glories of of God's creation, we know, we know that he's real. And that God has revealed himself to us in his word. In 2 Timothy, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. God has revealed himself through his word to us so that we can really know him, really know him. The God that's incomprehensible has stooped down and made it possible for us to know him. That is an amazing thing when you think about it, right? But no, you know, we go a little further and we think about the fact that God can create out of nothing. Only God can create when there is nothing there. 
I was, a couple of months ago, um, Jason Hahn posted this picture from when he went to Yosemite. And I remember just being floored when I was scrolling on my feet. I stopped. And you know how easy it is to just kind of like swipe through your posts. But I stopped because I was so overwhelmed by the beauty that he had captured in this national park. And if you've ever been there, I've been there, I felt like I was there again. I remember that feeling of how small I felt and how big God felt in the midst of this beautiful, beautiful place. And that's something that God makes by speaking it into being. It's an amazing thing. You know, uh, last week we had growth group and I made a barbecue chicken pizza. We always eat dinner. And so I made the pizza, and I was like, oh, this is so good. You made this? And I'm like, yeah, I made it. I, I bought the bread. <laughs> I bought the chicken. I bought the barbecue sauce. I bought the cheese. Put it all on top, put it in the oven. I made a pizza. <laughs> but God makes from nothing. He's able to do anything. It's an amazing, amazing truth, right? God is unchanging, right? We're constantly changing. We're getting older. We're, getting, we're gaining weight. We're losing weight. We're getting gray. We're losing hair. But God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. He knows everything. There's this amazing article posted last week that the Hubble constant, which is the idea that the universe is expanding, and all these physicists are trying to figure out at what rate it's expanding, and they're realizing that there's some discrepancies, and it's causing this huge huge furor in, in the science field. This is amazing. And then you stop and you think, God knows what the Hubble constant is. And the fact that he knows, the fact that he's established that makes science possible, that we could even study a universe that has order and meaning is because God knows, and God made it that way, that we could study it and know it, right? God is sovereign over all that he has made. There's no detail of our lives or of this grand story that we're a part of that he is not in control of. It's an amazing thing. God is love, right? We often talk about love, and we're actually talking about our feelings. I've fallen out of love with that person, but, but God is love. Not, this is love, not that we loved God, right, but that God loved us and sent his son to die as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love that blows the mind that surpasses any human definition of love, right? God is just. How frustrated and broken is our world right now? All across the world, South America, Asia, the United States, right? Corruption, injustice. And yet we know we have a God that's perfectly just and yet merciful. Amazing that we have a God that is all of these things. And when we think and we stop, we think about who God is, right? We see that what Paul is saying is obvious, right? He's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask and think. He, he transcends anything that we could wrap our heads around. He's, he's not fully comprehensible. Of course he could do far more. But he's also inviting us to go back as he's summing up this prayer and think about what these truths about God mean for us. We can't stay up in the clouds thinking about who God is. We have to think about what those truths actually mean in the day-to-day -day of our lives. And that's what brings us to the second point. What, what do we praise him for, right? Well, it's amazing that as you go on in this first verse that I read this morning, he says, right, the, the power, according to the power at work within us, right? How, could, how is it possible to even praise God? God's spirit is at work in us 
enabling us to know him, enabling us to praise him. And that's why the church is where God gets glory. It says, for him to, to him be glory in the church. We, God's people, give him weight and value. The world says there is no God, and we say no. We're able to see how he is eminently worthy and valuable and precious because his spirit is at work within us. And in saying that, it's almost like, go back. Go back and read my prayer letter. Look at these truths that I've been sharing with you about who God is, what he has revealed, right? Think about where we were several weeks ago. You were dead in your trespasses and sins following the course of this world. We were dead, not a little dead. We were fully dead. What does it mean that God can create something out of nothing? He can take dead people and resurrect them and bring them back to life. That's what he has done for us. And so it can't just be this abstract truth that we read. We have to think about, where were you dead in your trespasses? What sin do you bring this morning that you're struggling with? That would have been your death had not Christ come and paid that debt for you. Now the sin that weighs you down, that's separated from your, you from God, you can praise him in the midst of that because you've been saved from it. How amazing that we can praise God in the midst of our sin struggles because we know that in Christ we've been saved, that, that sin no longer separates us from God. It's an amazing truth, and that's what Paul wants us to, to see here. I don't know about you, but when I think about my time in the hospital, I was living a life trying to be good enough to, to earn God's favor. I was caring for patients, HIV patients. I was loving them. I wanted them to have a better life. And I was thinking that that was going to be good enough for God. And it was when I finally realized my sins, finally realized how broken I was. Forget the good things I was doing. Looking at my motives, looking at the people that I had hurt in my life, looking at my attitude towards God, I realized I was dead in my trespasses. I was really on a road to death. And God rescued me. So take a moment this week and think about where were you dead and where has God given you new life? We can go back and forth for hours about whether Kanye is crazy or not, but he's had moments of tremendous clarity in the last couple of weeks speaking about the Christian faith. And a couple of weeks ago, he was on James Corden, and it's amazing to hear Kanye talk about what it means to move from death to life. Corden said, what do you say to people and there will be people who say, I don't believe it. I don't believe the reawakening. If I look at the past five years of his life, this is night and day. One day living one way, now everything is for this. And this is what Kanye said. Only how Kanye could say, he goes, when you go to sleep, would you agree that you are asleep when you are asleep? And when you awake, would you agree that you are awake when you are awake? People who don't believe are walking dead. They're asleep and this is the awakening. And Kanye has been so clear about the sins that were leading to his death that he knows now Christ paid for. It's really powerful to hear him talk about those things. How about when we talked about he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, right? God has taken people that hated one another, that had nothing in common, that both separated from God and he has saved them all 
and he has reconciled them to himself and to one another. That's an amazing thing in a culture right now where we're so divided, where half of the country hates that there's impeachment hearings and the other half loves it. We are so divided about everything, about little things like stabbing people over Popeye's chicken sandwiches. That's the kind of hostility that lives in the human heart. I'm going to kill you over a $3 sandwich at a fast food restaurant. And yet Christ, that hostility we had towards God, Christ took upon himself on the cross and paid for that so that we could be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. How has that reconciliation been at work in your life? Because that's the spirit of God working within you. A couple of weeks ago, I, I went to Connecticut and it was a long day in the car and I had a lot of time to kill. So I started calling people, hoping I could talk to them uh, via Bluetooth. And everybody was not, everyone was going to voicemail. I called like 12 people and I left messages. Hey, I'm going to be in the car for the next four hours. Love to hear back from you. Uh, and then one person called me back and it was my dad. And we talked for an hour and let me tell you how remarkable that is because when I was in college, I didn't want to sit at the same t dining room table as my father because I was so angry at him. I had so much hatred towards my own father. And the fact that we could have an hour-long conversation that was so joy-filled, that was so fun, is only possible because I know how broken and sinful I am and I know that Christ has redeemed me and he gave me the strength to reconcile with my dad. Last summer, uh, summer before, before Asher was born, we went back to uh, my grad school. My grad advisor was having a, a reunion of sorts. And um, my lab mate in, in grad school, we were like inseparable. But when we matched for internship, we had a falling out because we just, I had a lot of bitterness towards him, just the way we shared um, labors in the lab. And I just walked away from that friendship. And when I came to faith, one of the first people I wanted to reconcile with was him. Because I knew that what I had done was sinful and was wrong. And so I called him and I texted him and he just ignored me time and time again. He's Jewish. And so on the Day of Atonement, I texted him. And I was like, hey, this is the time of the year you're supposed to like, forgive people their debts. Like, give me a call. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> well, we end up at the, my advisor's house and he's there. And... It was one of the hardest things I had to do, but I pulled him aside and I sat him down and I said, I'm sorry for what I did to our friendship and I'm sorry for what I did to you. Will you forgive me? And he forgave me and it was such an amazing moment and I, I was only able to humble myself like that and revisit something. We could have been at separate sides of the house for the whole time, but I felt the weight of what Christ had done and I knew that I could be reconciled to him and I wanted that, I desired that. You know, that's God's desire for all of us. So who, who do you want to be reconciled with? Christ has given you that power to do that. Take advantage of that amazing blessing that because you have found favor with God and you are no longer a stranger, there's no more hostility between you and God, you could show love and forgiveness to somebody else. How about you're no longer strangers and aliens, you're fellow citizens and members of the household of God. Remember when Pastor Tom reflected on what does it mean to be a citizen? What an amazing thing, right? I don't know how many of you have visited the White House, but even prior to 9-11, I went right after college, and you do so much 
to, to get in there. You have to make an appointment, make a schedule. They empty everything. You go through all these machines, empty your pockets, and then you walk down like one hallway. That's what you get as a citizen of the United States. That's pre-9-11. Now, you can't even go on the sidewalk near the White House because of how bad things are, right? But with Christ, you're not just a citizen, right? You're a citizen that has access to the king. You can go before the king with any request and know that you are heard. And when the new heavens and the new earth come together and Christ returns, he's going to crown us with honor and glory. That's insane to think about. Remember at the end of Star Wars, Leia putting these, these medals on Luke and Chewie and Han and C-3PO and R2-D2? Christ is going to be so pleased with us as his servants that we will be fellow citizens in his kingdom in a way that far surpasses the way we experience citizenship here on earth. What an amazing promise. But it's not just being a citizen. It says members of the household. Do you think about what that means to be a member of God's household? Thanksgiving is coming up. We're going to go home. Courtney's family is going to be there. And I think about it a lot. I long for that knowing that my mom has a seat at the table for me right? That she's, she, she's going to make a soup that I love. She's going to make my favorite dessert. She's going to brine that turkey, right? But like we have a seat at that table. You know, God has made a seat for us at his table, at his feast. You are an honored guest in God's household, a son and daughter of God. And we have to meditate upon that, not just heaven and earth, but Earth to earth, we have a family here. We are all members of a family. Have you thought about how precious that is? When I first moved here, you know who my first friends were? My first friends were Jed and Sariah and Josiah and Isaiah. Teenagers. Actually, one of them wasn't a teenager at the time, right? But they, were, they weren't just people I knew. They were my brothers, we went to the movies together. Courtney and I would go to the movies with them. We genuinely delighted to be with them because they were brothers. Even before we knew we had a shared love of Marvel superheroes, I felt connected to them because I knew that they were following the same king that I follow. And it instantly knit our hearts together. I feel like I can't watch a Marvel movie now until I see it with them. I sometimes go more than once just so that we can go see it together because it, it, it has a deeper meaning. I think about those first weeks that we were here. And when Merwin was first born and we had to go to, I had to, go to Westminster and Courtney had to work, in her first months of life, who, who raised our daughter? Esther. Esther Kutai took care of our daughter as if she was her own somebody we barely knew, but because she's family, she loved Merwin better than us. You know why it was better? Because she knew what it meant to be a parent. We were still figuring it out. What an amazing thing to have somebody love your child in that way because we're fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Beautiful, beautiful thing that we have in Christ. Many of you know that Merwin and Kate are BFFs. <laughs> but only if you've been James, Jen, Courtney, and I, or somebody in our growth group, have you seen how precious and beautiful that is. That when they were literally unable to speak and they would sit side by side ignoring one another, 
moving to be every Friday. This Friday, we didn't have growth group because Asher was sick. Marilyn cried the whole way home. I thought you told me Kate was coming. <laughs> and it breaks my heart. And now Malachi gets like that. And now, you know, we do things together. When um, Jen was off and the kids were off, she took uh, Merwin with her to go to the aquarium. We, I was sick. James went with me to the Please Touch Museum where this picture was taken. Kate and Merwin would not know each other, was it not for Christ? We would have never met at that growth group. What brought us to that house? What brought us to Sarah's house over five years ago? Jesus. And we were able to develop such a special friendship in our kids, right? Because of Christ. It's an amazing thing that what it means to be a member of the household of God. Precious gift. We said God is sovereign, but do you ever stop and just think about the times where God gives us a glimpse of his sovereignty and what that means? We had that opportunity last week when Jason and Cynthia shared about their mission trip to Bulgaria. Think about that story. We say God's in charge. He's, he's weaving the story together. Here's a couple that a missionary who went to Bulgaria goes to China and preaches Christ to Jason and Cynthia in communist China, and they become believers. And now they're in Bulgaria, and they meet a Chinese family that they're ministering to, right? That Jane is named after the missionary that preached to them. I didn't know that. I was, during youth group, probably embarrassed. I was so moved by that. I was like, every time I see her now, I'm going to think about Christ's faithfulness, that that name's a reminder that God had his sights on Jason and, and Cynthia, and that Jane is a reminder of God's goodness to them. What an amazing thing. On Thursday, I met up with a friend at Westminster. We had planned this a month in advance, and we we're going to have dinner. And so we sit down, and I was like, you know, what's going on? She's like, oh, I just met this girl, Bianca. You should totally meet her. Like, you guys have a lot in common. She started this fellowship at Westminster. And then my, as we're talking, my buddy Dave walks by, and he's, he joins the conversation. He's like, hey, didn't you get your PhD in psychology? I was like, yeah. He's like, where did you go? I was like, GW. He's like, you should meet my friend Bianca. He's like, I think she's applying there. So he disappears. Ten minutes later, he shows up with Bianca. And she's like, tell me about, like, you know, where you went to school. She's like, oh, you went to GW? I was like, yeah. She's like, I had all of my schools picked out. And then I, I just was seeking God. I was praying and fasting. And actually, the last school I added to my list was GW. So I'm like, wow. I was like, who do you want to work with? She wants to work with the person that was my advisor. Now, that doesn't mean much to you if, you're not, like, if you don't understand that world. But if 100 people are applying for five spots, you have to match with your advisor. It has to be like, this is a good fit. And the fact that she wants to work, I was Christina's first student. So I immediately went home and I emailed her. I was like, I met your next student. This girl is amazing. Be on the lookout for her application. When you think about all of the things that came into, into play in that night, I've sent three emails to Christina, gotten three responses. I don't know what God's going to do there, but Christina is not a believer. And her response is, what a crazy coincidence. But at Westminster, all of us were laughing at God's providence. Amazing. And then lastly, you know, we want to know we matter. We want to know that we have worth and value and that what we do means something. And then we look at this letter, this prayer letter that Paul's written, and he says that we are the riches of Christ's glorious inheritance. When you doubt, what am I doing at work? What is going on with my life? 
I can't defeat this sin. Would you meditate upon that truth that Christ came and suffered and died because you are his glorious inheritance? He loves you. He cherishes you. You are worth everything. And it doesn't matter where you're falling short in your life. It doesn't matter what you do or don't accomplish. You're Christ's. That's amazing. A couple of quick application points. How do we go in praise? We need to grow in comprehension of the one who's incomprehensible. And so I was thinking about last week, you know, the first, um, the first verse I memorized to do a benediction was the verse that Pastor Tom preached on last week. So I've thought about that verse a lot. But when Pastor Tom preached on it, my eyes were open, like the breath of God, right, that extends across all the earth, all of the nations, right? The depth, the depth of our sins, the, the height of the heavens, the length of all of time before recorded history until the end of time. That's how big God's love is. And my eyes were open. I was so moved. And it led to praise because I saw God a little differently through that. After I had preached on being saved by grace alone, we had growth group and James shared. It's amazing that this passage begins that you're dead in your trespasses and it ends with you've been saved by grace alone. He's like, we can't we come into the world sinners, and then we're rescued from God, and we have no control. And I, my, I was like, what? I was like, I studied that passage for 20 hours to preach it, and I hadn't seen that in that way. And it was just amazing. My buddy who um, preached at my ordination is preaching this morning on the prodigal son. And if you've grown up in the church, it's a famous parable that almost everybody knows. And yet he said that while he was meditating on it, he had this insight. He said, I'm thinking about this party that this father is throwing for his son. He's delighting and he's overjoyed that his son is home. And then he stops and his heart stops because his older son isn't there. And he said that, thinking about that melted the Pharisee in me. Thinking about the love of the father who longs for the older son to join the party. So we need to grow in comprehension. You know, like we watch... Um, if you're like fan theories, right? People watch these things over and over again. I got this video that I showed Courtney where this, this minor character in Endgame uh, does this awesome thing in the last battle, but you don't see it because Thor is throwing a hammer and, and Captain America is throwing his shield. How did the person see it? They watched it over and over again. They slowed it down. They, they wanted to see more. And when we want to see more of God, he will show more of himself to us that we might praise him. The other thing is keep a prayer journal. So Tiffany's in our growth group. She writes down prayer requests. And we're able to see what he is doing when we do that. So Paul Miller in his blog this week, he shared this post. This is from a pastor, John Preston, who only lived to be 41. Listen to what he shares about prayer. And prayer, it's where we learn to be thankful. For if God should give us mercies upon us unasked, we'd forget them. His hand wouldn't be acknowledged in them. We wouldn't see his providence in disposing those blessings that we enjoy. But when we come to ask everything before him, then we're ready to see his hand more, to prize it more, and we're more disposed to thankfulness. So jot down the things you're praying about. See how God answers your prayers. They'll lead to thanksgiving. When we're stressed, some of us sleep. Some of us want to be distracted. We go on our phones. We watch a movie. And then as soon as we wake up, the problems are still there. As soon as the movie is done, we're face-to-face -face with whatever's weighing us down. 
Would you cast your eyes on Jesus in those moments? Would you look at him and think about who he is and what he's done for you? And then you're not distracting yourself. You're reorienting your heart to the truth. We, two weeks ago in youth group, we read a passage and the youth closed their eyes and imagined themselves in the scene. And all of a sudden, all of the things that they were worrying about, their exams, their relationships, they faded away. Naomi and Emma saw themselves as the widow of Nain, whose son was resurrected, and they saw Jesus look at them and say, I noticed you, I noticed your suffering. And then Isaiah saw himself as one of the disciples, and he was like, I knew Jesus had this. I had already seen him do all these other miracles. As I was seeing myself in that scene, I knew he was going to raise this person from the dead. All of a sudden, this is who we are. This is who God is, this great king who sees you as his prized possession. So we, we opened with a guy cheering for the Yankees. Let's close with one guy praising God. been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun there'll be no less days to sing God's praise than when we first become